I want to tell you a story. Years ago, I was down there in Miami, and I was heading back up here. I was heading north on I-95, and I was moving along with the flow of traffic, trying to both mind my own business and cross the county line as quickly and safely as possible, as is my custom whenever I'm down in Miami-Dade County. Get down there, get your business done, get out, right? I always tell people that Miami is a, a great place to be from. Anyway, so I'm moving north on I-95, and then quite suddenly, a silver Toyota Camry swings into my lane, misses my bumper by what I estimate to be a fraction of a fraction of a millimeter, like really close. And it welled up in me, but I didn't say a thing. I did not say one word. I kept my eyes straight ahead. I didn't shout anything that I shouldn't have shouted because, again, I was working toward my ultimate goal of getting out of Miami as quickly and safely as possible. I didn't want to engage anybody because that would slow me down. But as things often go down there, in about a mile, everything came to a dead halt. Everything came to a complete stop. So while we were stopped in traffic on I-95, totally true story, I look to my right, and there is the same car that had just cut me off. So I did what I think we all do. I tried to look at the driver so that I could see what such a horrible driver looked like. You guys all know the look because you do the same thing. Isn't that your look? But when we made eye contact, I saw something that I totally didn't expect. The driver was extremely angry. She was red in the face. She was wildly gesticulating, and she was screaming at me, saying words I couldn't hear. I feel like I recognize them, but I'm not really much of a lip reader. So I'm sure they weren't bad words or anything. Oh, I forgot. And she had her pistol. It was one of the smaller Glocks, a nine millimeter, pointed at my head. Right at her window, with her gun up, in Miami-Dade County, pointed at my face. I didn't want to die that day. So I dropped back in traffic until the traffic cleared. And I lived to tell the tale. All right? I know, I'm here with you. Hope you're happy. Now, I wanted to start off by telling you that story because I want to take some of the heat off myself. And here's why. I've lived in South Florida my whole life, and in my many decades of driving down here in South Florida, I have a confession to make. I, too, may have given in to my own road rage on more than one occasion. Are you familiar with road rage? Have you experienced road rage? either as an offender or as a victim. And now remember, before you answer that question, this is church, so you're not supposed to lie, okay? Road rage, by the way, is defined as any aggressive or angry behavior exhibited by a driver that is meant to intimidate or threaten other drivers. And those behaviors do include rude and offensive gestures. All right, now you know the definition. Now, you want to re-answer the question, has anyone ever experienced road rage as an, as an offender or a victim? Hmm? 
Yes, okay, we all have, right? No one is above it. No one is immune from it. Not even here in quiet, peaceful, tranquil Boca Raton. Earlier this week, Beth and I were at Walmart. I swear to myself, every time I shop at Walmart, I say I'll never shop there again, and I keep on going back. I don't know what it is. You save 75 cents on an antiperspirant, and you just keep going back. I don't know what that is. But anyway, we were leaving Walmart, we're in the parking lot, it was sort of, sun was beginning to go down, and, and this woman, who was driving full speed through the zebra crosswalk that I happened to be walking through, screeched on her brakes and began to scream at me and call me some very unchristian names. Her windows were open, not sure why anybody drives with their windows open in South Florida during June, but whatever. But she almost ran me over, and, and I think that she just didn't notice me until the last second, so she was startled by the fact that I was there. And I was like, what the heck? And as she drove off, she kept yelling at me as she was getting farther and farther away and going to turn on 441, and what the cheapers lady, you know? But we've all experienced, or we've all displayed some sort of road rage. Because the truth is, all of us have some sort of general rage residing inside of us. We all carry around some level of anger every day. We don't like the word anger, do we? Anger makes us feel so out of control, so uncivilized, so barbaric, right? When my kids were little, whenever I yelled at them in the early days of my parenting, I did that a lot. Whenever I yelled at them, they would ask me, Dad, why are you so angry? And I was responded, I'm not angry, I'm frustrated. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I'm frustrated. Frustration sounds so much better than anger, right? So Frustration is, is more that thing that you're doing is causing me to respond to you. So I'm yelling because you have frustrated me. This is all your fault. I'm definitely not angry. Don't we do that? But can we talk? Is there really a difference? Ponder that. Because now we're in part four of a six-part series called You're Not the Boss of Me. How to say no to the emotions that compete for control. And as we've been discussing in this series, every single one of us, every person has emotions that compete for control of our moods and ultimately control of our words and our actions. And over the last few weeks, we've seen that Jesus has provided us with an explanation of where our emotions Originate. We've been looking at Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. The things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these things defile them. We talked about what defiled means. Being defiled means being at odds with God. And we talked about how God's word tells us that, when we're, that we're at odds with God when we're at odds with other people, when we're at odds with God's image bearers, people whom God loves. And those things that defile us originate within us, from our hearts. And then they come out of us, and they proceed to harm those whom God loves. And then we saw how Jesus specified the identity of those defiling things that come from our hearts. And he told us how they all begin with bad thoughts, with evil thoughts, Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, 
sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Mark's gospel added a few more. Greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, arrogance, folly, and so on. And it's these evil thoughts that are the first step to our evil deeds. You have to have an evil deed before you do an evil thought. So in this series, we've been talking about how to monitor our hearts in a manner similar to the way that we all have learned to monitor our behaviors so that we can live in society with each other. We all behave ourselves in a different way. We're all sitting here in church calmly and kindly. Thank you very much. I don't know what's going on in your minds. I don't know what you're thinking about. I don't know what you're going to do tomorrow, but you're all sitting here like you're listening, and that is really cool, and that's one of the things we do. We monitor our behaviors so we can live productive lives. We learn how to behave when we're at work, or if you're a student, you learn how to behave when you're in class, or we learn how to behave out in public, or we learn how to behave when we're trying to convince somebody to do something with us or for us, like date us or marry us or go into business with us or whatever. That's monitoring our behavior, but monitoring our hearts is far more challenging, and it's also far, far more important. Because those negative emotions that reside in our hearts have a tendency to overwhelm us, have a tendency to take control over our lives. So, so far in this series, we've talked about how if we're not careful, guilt and envy can become the boss of us. And next week, we're going to be talking about fear. But today, our topic is anger. So let's pray, and then we'll dig into the scripture. Father God, thank you for gathering us here together this morning. Thank you for a holiday week. Thank you for the freedom that you've permitted us. Thank you for the love that you've shown us. And most importantly, thank you for loving us even though we're unworthy, even though we come into the world broken, dead to you, sinners. Because of your love for us, you sent Jesus, God the Son, to live the perfect life that we can't live. You sent Jesus to that cross, and while he was there, you put all of our sins on him and punished him with the punishment that we deserve, and he died in our place. He paid the penalty for our sin, but he came back from the dead, and he was seen by witnesses, hundreds of them. He went up to heaven. He promised to return one day, and we can be his, and we turn from the way we were brought into this world and turn to you as our Lord, through Jesus, our Lord and Savior. God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start with this. Here's what I know about you. You don't want anger to be the boss of you, right? You don't want your life to be dictated by your anger. You don't want everything you do to be dictated by your anger. And also, nobody who loves you wants anger to be the boss of you. And frankly, you don't want anger to be the boss of anybody that you love or even anybody you have to interact with. Why is that? Well, because we've all experienced the business end of a person's anger or a person's frustration or a person's rage. Oh, and when we talk about anger, we're not just talking about external anger. Because maybe you're like I am more like now. And you really never raise your voice. After the incident I told you about with my sons, I made them a deal. True story. And we reduced that deal to writing. We wrote up an agreement, we all signed it. I'm a lawyer, right? You would expect nothing less. We still have that agreement. We agreed that if they would do a better job of listening to me, I would stop yelling. 
Some of you parents are going, that's impossible. But it is not impossible. It's doable. From that day, we had peace in our home. We really did. It changed everything. But just because I never raised my voice again doesn't mean I wasn't still angry. Even though I don't really lose my temper and raise my voice, I still display my anger in other ways. Maybe some of you do the same. I brood. Do you do that? Kind of walk around quietly, your face all screwed up. I growl. Do you growl? Anybody watch Ted Lasso? Yeah, yeah. You remember Roy Kent? That's what he did, growled all the time. That's what I do. I growl when I'm upset with some. Just, or I'll get quiet, real quiet. And when I'm quiet, people notice because I talk so much. I've been told that my silence is intimidating and that it has the same effect or worse as external anger on the people closest to me. So, so whether you try to use anger quietly or you use anger in the traditional way to verbally shut people down, anger is a bad boss. Well, James, the brother of Jesus, who emerged as the leader of the community, the Jesus-following community in Jerusalem after the resurrection, James addressed the issue of anger in a way that can guide us today. So we'll be looking at a letter that James wrote that provided wisdom primarily to Jewish Christians. James is often considered sort of the writer of the, the Proverbs of the New Testament. A lot of what you get out of James's letter, a lot, of, a lot of good advice, a lot of good stuff about how to live your life. In his letter, we know the letter as, of course, the book of James, James gave us a principle that will be invaluable in your quest <clears throat> to keep anger from becoming the boss of you. Are you ready? Here it is. <laughs> to address the issue, in his letter, James posited two questions. So his first question was this. In James chapter 3, verse 13, this is the New International Translation. Use any translation you like if you're following along. Who is wise and understanding among you? So James is addressing this question to a person or to people using the term wisdom. Now, by wisdom or wise, James is referring to insight. Who among you has insight? Wise and insightful people, you see, understand the fact that all of life is interconnected. Things that we do have repercussions elsewhere. Wise and insightful people understand, they get the fact that the past influences the present, and the present influences the future. Whatever's going on now is going to show up some way later. All of life is interconnected. So James was asking, do you have the proper perspective on things? And then he says, okay, essentially, if so, here's a challenge for you. Who is wise and understanding among you, here's the challenge. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. All right. Humility that comes from wisdom. If you think you have a proper perspective on things, let me see it in the way you live your life, in the things that you do. And let me see it in how much humility you display. So here James is saying, a wise person is a humble person. And it follows that people who aren't humble are not wise. Well, the opposite of humble is what? Arrogant. Arrogant people aren't wise, which makes arrogance a problem for God. 
It's a problem because arrogance is irrational. It makes no sense. Arrogance goes against everything that wise people know about how the world works and how people are. So James is saying, if you're wise, let me see how you live your life. Your true wisdom will be reflected by the humility you exhibit. I was uh, with a group of pastors earlier this week, some young guys and some more seasoned pastors, such as myself. And after our meeting ended, I was talking to one of the older guys, and he and I had noticed how remarkably certain the younger guys were about every single thing they said. They were absolutely positive that what they said was spot on. So the older guy and I both agreed that, like them, when we were younger, we used to be very certain about things, but we kind of wised up over the years. We agreed that as we spent more time among God's people and looking at God's word, the more complex we found people to be, and the more wisdom we would gain if we would just listen, and we would study, and we would watch. And to that end, today, we are far less certain. We are far more humble. We're far less arrogant. We're far more wise about the things we used to know for certain. And wisdom helps us see things clearly. Wisdom is understanding how the world works and how things are. And that's why the more wise you are, the more humble you're going to be. Now, humility is powerful. But sadly, humility is not normal. It's not natural. So what is natural for humans? James continued. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Harboring bitter envy, harboring selfish ambition, those are natural. But if you allow bitter envy or you allow selfish ambition to attach itself to, to take up residence in your heart, if you allow that feeling of envy of the success of others or the practice of self-centeredness to define you and to guide you, as as you're naturally drawn to do, you're going to have a problem in life. Now, by the way, James makes a statement. He says, do not boast about it or deny the truth. That's James' way of saying it gets kind of awkward in the translation, which is why it's kind of clunky, but James is basically saying it's a bad thing if you hold on to bitter envy and selfish ambition, because if you hold on to bitter envy and selfish ambition, that means you make everything about you in the same way that people who lack wisdom and humility do, in the same way that arrogant people do. So it's nothing to brag about. James didn't want the believers to get stuck there or to be satisfied with that, because God has called the believer to something better. God has called the believer to something higher. James continues, verse 15. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven. So you didn't get that from God. Such wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Okay, so wherever this arrogance, this envy, this selfish ambition exists, You're going to find their disorder and every evil practice. When those things get wedged inside of us, they're eventually going to come out of us. And where there's arrogance and where there's a lack of understanding of how the world works and the way things really are, and when there's a lack of understanding of how dependent you actually are on the people around you and the circumstances over which you had no control, when you lose sight of that and arrogance takes up residence in your heart, You can count on there being disorder. 
So not an ordered life, a disordered life. And there will be every evil practice in your life. James is saying whatever is stuck inside of you is going to come for you. And it's going to come for the people around you as well. It's okay. So then having laid the predicate, James told us that the wisdom from God actually looks different. The wisdom from God actually manifests itself in our lives. And here's what he said in verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. And then it's peace-loving and considerate and submissive and full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and and sincere. And sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. James is saying, now the distinction is clear. The stuff that lives in the human heart is not wisdom. It's demonic. It's arrogance. It comes from envy. It comes from selfish ambition. And it leads to disorder and every evil practice. But on the other hand, the stuff that comes from God is pure. It's peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial. And it's sincere. So if you're truly a wise person of God, you will be a peacemaker. You'll be a person who sows peace and reaps righteousness. Okay, so after setting all of that up, James tells us how to keep anger from lodging in our hearts and becoming the boss of us. Which brings us to the second question we have to jump on to James chapter 4, and here's how he starts. So, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Okay, so he's got like, I just told you that. If you, if you let all of that gunk, all that stuff gets stuck in your heart, bad things lie ahead. So he says, let me now see if you understand what I'm getting at. What is it that causes fights and quarrels among you? He's asking, what is the root cause of all fights and quarrels? And here we might push back and go, wait a minute, James. Your first question was a bit confusing. It was a bit, eh, it was a bit much, a bit esoteric. But this one's easy. We're not talking about a what. It is not a what that causes fights and quarrels. It's not a what. It's a who Who causes fights and quarrels? That's the right question, James. And that's simple. You know who causes fights and quarrels? That jerk in the car that cut me off. That's who causes fights and quarrels. Or the mean woman in the Walmart parking lot who I think is probably still screaming at me. That's who causes fights and quarrels. Or maybe it's your parents. Or maybe it's your boss. Or maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it's your spouse or your siblings. It's not a what, it's a who, James. I'm just responding to something that someone out there in the world is doing to me. You see the self-centeredness in it? And to that, James would say, you couldn't be more wrong. And that's exactly why we're talking about this. If you can understand this, your entire understanding of your world and your entire understanding of the assignment that God has given you will be transformed. And until you understand it, you're not going to be able to keep that anger from being the boss of you. Now watch this. James pointed them then in a different direction. Here's what he says. Don't those quarrels come from your desires that battle within you? In other words, if you're wise enough, if you're humble enough, if you're understanding enough, you should be able to see clearly that those fights and quarrels among you all start within you. They all come from you. 
He's saying, even though at this moment you might see it differently, the fights and quarrels among you don't come from someone else. And they don't come from someone else's inability to see the world the way you see the world. They come from within you. Now, even if you're tracking with me and you're nodding your head in agreement with what I've just said, you don't actually believe that yet. Because the difficult truth is, in our arrogance, we each think that the anger we carry is justified because it comes from the people around us who just refuse to see things the way that we see them or do things the way that we want them to do them. And it leaves us no alternative but to be angry or at least frustrated. We all think that the world would be a much better place if everyone would just agree with us. Don't we? We all think that, right? We all think that the world would be a much better, much more peaceful place if everyone would just acknowledge that we have it all figured out. No, 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 no. No need to argue. I got this. Done. Just listen to me. And James says, no, you're not getting it at all. You haven't understood the root cause of your anger. And as long as you continue to believe that the source of your anger is somewhere out there, you're never going to be able to get it under control. And the ugly and dangerous things inside of you are only going to continue to rule over you. So if you'll take this to heart, this will change you. It'll revolutionize your walk with Jesus. It'll revolutionize your relationship with everybody in your world. Don't those fights and quarrels come from your desire that battles within you? Yes. Every time. Always. The reason we're angry, the reason we fight and quarrel is because there's something we want that we're not getting. Test James' statement out. Regarding your kids, what do you want? I just want them to listen to me. Regarding your job, I just want them to recognize my worth. Regarding your politics, I just want them to stop parroting the talking points and listen to my well-researched, well-reasoned, completely logical, correct opinion. How about on the road? What do we want on the road? I just want the other cars in front of me to go exactly as fast as I want them to go. I want them to go through every red light I would have gone through. I want them to signal their turns exactly the way I would signal my turn. Signal their lane changes the same way I would signal my lane changes. In life, we all think to ourselves, I want them to give me the respect that I'm due or give me what I'm owed or give me what they promised, but they don't or they didn't or they won't. And now I'm just, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. And though in our minds we're thinking, you're right, and in those situations, you have every reason to be frustrated or angry. The truth, according to James, is no. That is not justification. You are wrong. Sure, you want them to listen. Sure, you want them to recognize you. Sure, you want them to agree with you. Sure, you want them to drive in your approved way. Sure, you want them to acknowledge you. And they didn't. And that just isn't fair. And you're not getting what you want. Aww. But if when you feel that anger or that rage or that frustration start welling up inside of you, if you can learn to take a beat and shift your attention from what they're doing or not doing to how you're reacting to it, 
to how you're choosing to respond, you're going to begin to see that the problem begins and ends with you. The problem begins and ends in your heart. The root of every argument and quarrel that you've ever had begins in your heart when you wanted something, but you weren't getting it. And as soon as you work this practice into your life, this take a beat and see where your heart is, you'll notice that immediately the temperature will drop and anger will no longer be the boss of you. Your anger will no longer control your moods or your mouth. James continued because he knew he's going to have to repeat this one a few times because people aren't going to like it. You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. But you do not have, because you do not ask God. Think about it. Here's what James is saying. If you don't get this, there's no limit to the damage you can do. It goes all the way up to murder. As long as you can't control the other person, you're going to think you have license to be out of control yourself. You didn't do what I said, now I can do whatever I want. But you need to understand that. That thing that lives in you demands its own way. That thing is is the thing that causes murder. It's a bad thing. So James continues, verse 3. When you ask, you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James is like, wise up, you're the problem. Your motives are all wrong. You're only out to satisfy yourself. You only want to please you. Remember my Skittles? First week? When we shake a jar of Skittles, whatever's in the jar comes out of the jar. Skittles. Conflict. And not getting what we, and not getting what we want, or not getting what we think we deserve, or not getting what we think we've been promised. That just shakes the jar. And what comes out... Is whatever's in there. Now, before I go on, let me give you a little caveat because I'm going to need one so you don't email and stuff like that. Yes, there are certain things in life that go wrong or certain situations in life that should upset you, that should make you rightly angry. And I'm guessing that if you really thought about it, you could figure out what those things are, but I'm not going to give you any examples because I don't think it's useful for me to give you loopholes already So you can start looking for those limited examples and try to justify holding on to your own anger. But my anger is righteous anger. Because we try that, and it's toxic. So maybe the rule of thumb should be this. If a stranger comes up to you and punches you in the face, assaults you in the street, or somebody pulls up in a creepy van and tries to snatch your child, then your anger is justified, okay? Got it? But if all you're going to do is scream something from behind the wheel of your car or from behind your keyboard or from your phone, that's not the justified kind of anger. That's the anger that comes from the evil in your heart. But when you can own your own culpability in the anger games, we all have it. We're all culpable. That's when the temperature will come down and anger and rage and frustration will no longer be the boss of you. Now, as with many things, in the heat of the moment, in the thick of things, we forget this stuff. It's very easy to forget these words. And we fall back into our old habits, our hardwired patterns of angrily exploding every time we don't get what we want, every time things go in a way differently than we pictured them. 
But if you take James' lesson to heart, you'll be pleased and you'll be amazed with how much better you'll feel about life. So I want to help you with that. In order to get you started, I'm going to give you something to say whenever you feel that old anger, that old friend anger, that old frustration, if that tastes better going down, whatever you're about to enter into a conflict, you feel it rising, you feel it in your back, you feel it in your stomach. Whenever you're about to enter into a conflict or an argument, you can do this with anyone in any confrontational situation. Whenever you feel that happening, here's what you can say to yourself. I guess I'm not getting what I want here, but anger, you are not welcome. You're not the boss of me. You know what I'm going to say next, right? Let's say it together. I guess I'm not getting what I want here, but anger, you're not welcome. You're not the boss of me. Right? It may be unfair, it may be unjust, they broke a promise, they broke a vow, but anger, you are not the boss of me. Guys are getting this, this is good. And I know, I know, it's hard for some of you, it is. I actually know for a fact just how hard it is for a few of you. You know who I'm talking to. Everybody just got, is he talking to me? You figure that out. But imagine saying that in the middle of a conflict. And I'm not just telling you what to do. I'm telling you what I'm doing too. James said, quoting Psalm 3, if we'll do this, if we'll humble ourselves, God will show us favor. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And James said, if you'll submit yourselves to God and resist the devil... He will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So let's begin to wrap this up. What is your relationship with anger? Does your anger boss you around? Do you allow your anger to control your mood or to control your mouth? I'm working on that myself. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm better than I was. What's your relationship with anger, and are you ready to put an end to it? And if you don't know the answer to that question, or you're not ready to admit it, you know what? Ask somebody close to you what they think your relationship with anger is. I don't believe I'm about to say this because it's a holiday weekend, and maybe you shouldn't, but ask your spouse. Ask your children. Ask the people who work with you or work for you. Would they say that anger is definitely the boss of you? Are you ready to put an end to that? Well, James said it calls for humility. To do it, you have to humble yourself. Because once you humbly look at yourself and the people around you, you'll see that for us, broken and sin-riddled people, humility is the only thing that makes sense. It follows that the opposite of humility, arrogance, makes no sense at all. And along with arrogance, pride makes no sense at all. Seriously, we are not as good as we think we are. But thankfully, God is so much better than we could ever imagine. We have no business displaying arrogance and pride. And arrogance and pride will never lead us anywhere good. But humility can set us free. And it's through humility that we can own our past. 
In situations that in the past might have angered us or frustrated us, we can own those. In situations that might bring us to the place where anger controls us, we can own them so anger no longer controls us, no longer controls our mouths, no longer controls our moods. We can do this. You with me? That's good because guess what? I'm going to make a prediction. Before today is over, you're not going to get your way with something. And when that happens, you're going to feel your old friend anger welling up inside of you like an old sweater that you just love to wear. And it's going to try to make its way out of you. So you're not going to have to wait long to put into practice what you learned today. Maybe it'll start right after church as soon as you hit traffic on the way home or wherever you're going next. If you're going out to the beach, you're going to find it there. Maybe it'll be the next time you interact with your spouse or your children. Maybe it'll hold on until you go back to work. But whenever it comes, you now know what to do. When you feel that anger welling up inside of you, you can confidently tell it, anger, you are not the boss of me. Anger, I am owning my part in this, and you will not control my mouth or my mood. And by the way, if you're a Jesus follower, anger can't be the boss of you anyway, because you already have a boss of you, and his name is Jesus. He's your boss. He's your Lord. That's the point. And you know what? Your boss, your Lord, your Messiah, your Savior, Jesus didn't get everything he wanted either. Remember in Luke 22, he said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. I don't want to go through this painful death that I'm about to go through. But then he says immediately, yet, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus didn't want it. Didn't matter. And it was even more than that. Jesus said no to himself so he could give us the thing that we needed most. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Philippians 2, who being in very nature, God, Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. God, for our benefit, didn't get everything that he could have gotten. Instead, he gave up everything. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Never once did Jesus pull rank. Never once did Jesus insist on getting his own way. Jesus lived his life for the people he loved. Paul told the Philippians what that kind of humility, the humility of a Jesus follower would, would look like when it was lived out in the real world in verse 5 of chapter 2. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Because when we're humble as Jesus was humble, when we realize that it's okay to not get everything we want, we can keep that anger from being the boss of us. And it's then that we'll stand out as shining stars in the sky, as that shining city on the hill and point the lost to Jesus as God has called us to do. You see, following Jesus will make our lives better. And one of the reasons that following Jesus will make us better at life is because Jesus will always move us away from self-centeredness. He'll always move us away from arrogance and he'll move us toward others' centeredness and humility. And when we move toward other centeredness and humility, our lives will get bigger and our lives will get better 
And then we'll be able to live lives where anger is not our boss. So as we wrap up, here are the questions I want you to ponder this week. Question number one. Can you describe your relationship with anger? Question number two. What and who are your triggers? And question number three. Are you ready to acknowledge that part of the problem is that you're not getting what you want? Take a few minutes, if you would, go through these questions with the people who love you. And if you're willing to give anger the boot from your life, I'm going to make a promise to you. I promise your life will get better. It will get much better. Anger will no longer be the boss of you. And anger may no longer be a factor in your most valued relationships. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for James' words today. We thank you that they were preserved for us for 2,000 years so we could read them today. Now, God, allow us to read these words and give us the wisdom to know what to do with them and then give us the courage to carry it out. Father, revolutionize our relationships. Father, I pray that none of us will spend another day allowing anger to be the boss of us. Father, we love you, we thank you, we praise you, and I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.